When you think about God covering, God providing, God making a way for humankind, what you find next is Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, God focuses on the apex of creation, and that's humankind. Genesis chapter 1 talks about the creating of man and woman in the image of God, but Genesis 2 gets very myopic and gets very focused on humankind and kind of retells the story. As God retells the story of humankind, he essentially tells us that God first created Adam. When he creates Adam... He puts him in the middle of the garden, and Adam has absolutely everything that he could possibly want. Now, men, I want you to picture the perfect man cave. How many of you men can do that? Perfect man cave. All of your high school trophies lining the wall with bright lights on them where fifth place was scribbled out and you put first place in there. And there's all your favorite stuff and life is awesome and no one's going to bother you ever. You have exactly what you want in life. That's Adam. Do you know the Bible says he's living in paradise? Absolute paradise. Everything that he wants, everything that he needs, boom, right there, paradise. I love that. But what ends up happening next is here's what God says for the very first time. God says something is not good. All along, God's been saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, it says, the Lord said, it is what? Not good for the man to be alone. Even in paradise, even with sheer perfection, God looks at man, the male, and says, it's not good for men to be alone. I want to say this again. Men, God says, it is not good for us to live our lives alone. Notice that Adam doesn't go to God and say, I'm lonely. Adam doesn't go to God and say, look, I want you to fix this thing. God looks at Adam before he creates Eve, and he makes this clear announcement. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. Here's what God says to every man sitting here. You are not complete by yourself. You are not self-sufficient. You are not a self-made man. God's Word announces to you and to me, and you can take it as a command or a warning. It is not good, men, that we live alone. It is not good. One theologian that I admire said this about Adam. Though man was possessed of all the bliss of paradise, one thing was still wanting. He was 
alone, and God said, that's not good. We live in a world that tells men, keep everyone at bay. We live in a world that says to men, be self-sufficient, be strong, figure it out yourself. But God says, not good. So what does God do? Well, the Bible says, God makes Eve. But what you have to notice is, that Eve is of the very same kind, yet she's very different. I want you to catch this. I want you to notice that when God looks at Adam, he does not say to Adam, Adam, guess what? I'm all you need. Adam, you don't need someone else. All you need is me. I'm adequate. I'm sufficient. I'm enough. It's not what God says. God looks at Adam and says, Adam is alone and that is not good, so now I'm going to create Eve. And Eve, in case you didn't know, is very different than Adam. God's answer in that context is woman. Ladies, let me share something with you that you're going to be joyful to hear. Because when I first stepped into faith, it was very apparent that women were viewed as second-class citizens in the church. It was very apparent to me. But here's what you need to know. Women, the Hebrew word that is used as to why woman was created was this. It's the Hebrew word helper. That Adam, you're going to love this, women, was helpless. He needed a helper. And here's what's really cool, and I want you to catch, ladies. The word for helper is found 19 times in Scripture. 16 of those, God is our helper. Three times it says, the lady is the helper. Women, you are like God. You have to understand this. If God owns the same name for himself that he gave to you, that's huge. And he looks at man, the male, says it's not good that he lives alone and that he exists alone and that he experiences life alone. So what God does is he creates a woman and he gives her the name that he has claimed for himself. It's the name Helper. And please know this, women, you are not inadequate, you're essential. Big difference. I grew up in a church when I first stepped into faith where women viewed as, they were viewed as inadequate. God says you're essential. You are essential in your own right. One little quick diversion and then we're going to come back to this. And it's this. All of our Bibles, the primary translation is when God creates Eve, he takes a rib off of Eve or Adam and creates Eve. Do you realize that that word for rib can also be translated side? 
As a matter of fact, in the Bible, that same word that's translated rib in the creation narrative in English is actually always translated everywhere else in Scripture as being one half or the other side. The other side of the mountain is the exact same word. And so you know what I believe? I believe God just didn't take Adam's rib. He took half of Adam. And he created Eve. And that's why it says, when a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, they become one flesh. And the rabbis teach this. This isn't some spare part off of Adam that he didn't need. That word can be translated side. God took one side of Adam and he created Eve. And when they come together, they are now one. But here's what I want us to clearly understand. This is so important. That what God says about Adam and what's not good about Adam is his aloneness. Aloneness is not good. Singleness isn't the issue. I've heard way too many preachers preach on this, and they act as though marriage is the answer for aloneness. Can I be blunt? I've been a pastor now, full-time ministry for 30 years, and I know a lot of people that are married, and they are desperately alone. I want to say that again. I know people who are married, and they are desperately alone. What God says is this, the problem with Adam is that his aloneness is not good. It's not the issue of his singleness. And I have watched at City Church and all the churches I've ever been deeply involved with. There are people who live the life of singleness and because of the church and love, they are not alone. Do you understand this? It's important. Again, aloneness is what is not good. Singleness is not the issue. I believe that that's important. Here's the other thing that I believe is key. Scripture says this, that God's answer for aloneness is not sameness, it is diversity. Do you notice that when God answers the aloneness issue for Adam, he doesn't make someone that's exactly the same as him. What does God do? God's answer for aloneness is not sameness, it's diversity. But you know what? Difference and diversity is a problem for people, but it's the creative genius of God. I want you to catch this. Diversity is the creative genius of God to answer the issue of aloneness. God could have created everyone the same, total clones. He doesn't do that. When he looks at Adam and he creates Eve, she is categorically different in so many ways from Adam. But that's God's answer to the issue of aloneness. This is so important. If you think aloneness 
is because you can't find someone just like you. God is saying, that's exactly why I've created everyone different. God's creative genius and his answer to loneliness is diversity. It's the fact that we are made to be different. I knew no one would say amen to that. No one, but it's God's truth. So when I'm sitting here and I'm thinking through the idea of God's covering, here's what I can promise you. It's that in the body of Christ, God has created a person for every single one of us, people for every single one of us that will allow us to move away from what's not good towards what is good, and that is authentic relationship with each other. Now, here's what the Bible says about Adam and Eve before the fall. Here's what it says. It says, Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. Here's the reality. That in the initial creative intention of God towards Adam and Eve is that all of the stuff that separates us, all of the stuff that breaks down relationship, all of that stuff that infects our mind when we think about literally and authentically living in transparent relationship with others, that Adam and Eve felt absolutely no shame. Not only this, but Scripture tells us that they were walking with God, they had transparent communion with God, transparent communion with each other, and everything was as God had intended, and then the fall came. And when the fall came, there was guilt, there was shame, there was self-reliance, there was hiding from God and one another. Now, here's what I want to say to all of us. It's this. God's going to say to you spiritually, it's not good that you're alone. God knows that for so many of us, these are the issues of our lives. And there's some of us that are sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I know that God is right, but I'm so alone. But if I could just be perfect, then I would be willing to reach out because I would never experience any shame because I'm perfect. Here's what I want to say to you. That's a lie of the enemy. Total lie. It's not perfection. It's the idea that you know you're not perfect. And that the other people here in the body of Christ that make up the church here that we call City Church, we know we're not perfect too. And when your imperfection shows up, we are committed to love you and to support you, but we also love you enough that we're not going to allow you to be on a trajectory that's disastrous. If you've got something in your life that you're struggling with, we're going to walk with you. But the enemy of your soul wants you to think that if you were ever truly transparent with someone else, the shame would become overbearing, there would be instant rejection, and you'd be kicked to the curb. Here's what God says. I know you're broken. I know you're imperfect. And what I want you to do is to cease to be alone. 
As I started to say, but I think it's important to rephrase, it's this. The first way to be shame-free is to be perfect. The second way to be shame-free is based on the perfect love of Jesus. Huge difference. So I am challenging us as a church family. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And that in Christ and in the church, what we are looking for is a place where we can go and be authentic. Now, here's a tragic statement in Scripture. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're still in paradise. They're still together. But sin has invaded them. And there they are, covered by God. They're living in absolute paradise. But then they cover themselves with fig leaves. They weave garments. Even though God is covering them, they start to cover themselves out of shame and guilt and self-reliance and all the things that separate people from each other. But here's the incredible good news. Is that in the church and in the Christian family, And in the faith of Jesus, God still covers us. But what he calls us to do is to uncover ourselves. To cease to think that if we cover ourselves, that the people around us don't know. And here's the craziest statement of all. Not only did Adam and Eve cover themselves in the midst of God's covering, but they also hid from him. What were they thinking? It reminds me of hide-and-seek when my kids were little. And the youngest one always stands in the middle of the room and covers their eyes. And they think, because they can't see you, the parent can't see them. And when a child does that, you think to yourself, you must come from your mother's side of the family or something, (laughs) because this is so dumb. (laughs) But as parents, we go, where are you? Where are you? That's what God does. God steps into the garden, into paradise, and he's walking and he goes, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? (laughs) He doesn't know. And God says, well, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? Why are you ashamed? You see, the Newer Testament drives home a simple thought. And that is this, is that in Jesus and the church, there's a commonly repeated phrase over 60 times, and it's one another. One another. That the Newer Testament calls us to be a group of people who get together in relationship. We take off the cover. We quit faking. We start to live in truth and in honesty. Here at City, we have what we call life groups. Life groups are for the simple purpose of giving you an opportunity to journey one with another. Because on a Sunday morning, it is impossible to meet people and to journey together. This group is too big. So under the scriptural understanding, what we have done at City for years now is we have been moving towards and encouraging people 
to get involved with life groups so they can walk one and another. One and another. So as we close out our time, I'm going to ask that a couple would join me up front. This is Russ and Emily Cotton, and they're going to tell you their brief story of what it's been like to move from people who were kind of living alone to where now they are walking in relationship through a life group. Let's give them a hand as they're seated. So as I was thinking through God covering us, all of us need people who are following Jesus that we can follow Him with. It's extremely, extremely central to the Newer Testament. And so what I've asked this couple to do is that, Em, if you'd start, and if you could share with the City Church family just a little bit about moving towards a life group initially, kind of what you've experienced in your own life through that. So if you'll share with the church family. Okay. Um, when we first joined a life group, um, we met a couple who were on a journey of grief. And when, within a few months, we found ourselves on a very similar grief journey. Um, God knew it was coming, and he placed this couple in our life at just the right time. Um, it was during the most tragic part of the event that my friend came and sat with me and supported me and it meant the world to me that even amidst her own grief and sorrow she would sit with me through mine that's good now Russ I want you to stand up he's a big man (laughs) I'd stand up too but don't feel like it I'll stay seated (laughs) But Russ, I'd like you to share a little bit just about your own experience when you're thinking about life groups. Kind of what have your own experience has been. Okay. So we um, came to this church two and a half years ago, coming up on three years in January. And we have a lot of friends, had a lot of friends, still have a lot of friends kind of outside the church, some in, some out. Um, so we had a lot of social connections, and Brad Bigler kept kind of chasing me down, saying, hey, you don't have to commit, just you know, come once or whatever. So I resisted, and then I figured out he was a guitar player, and I was like, well, maybe I can learn something you know, on the guitar. Sure. <laughs> Not really, but. <laughs> <laughs> so are you a better guitar player than Brad? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'll let him answer that <laughs> on his interview, yeah. That's very uh, diplomatic. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. So we, we went, I think, once or twice, and uh, the, the diversity piece is kind of what I would speak to the most, like, it's just normal to be attracted to people who are like you, you know, in, in whatever, yes. whatever interest you have, and um, it was just really cool to connect with the Biglers, and then, like, older folks in the group, younger folks in the group, and it was pretty diverse, not every group's that diverse, but the group was really diverse, and it was really healthy for us to come together weekly and for the one focus of connecting on God's word and then kind of embracing each other and being able to pray for each other, um, it's a different dynamic than just being friends, you know? So it was cool to develop a friendship as well, um, but I just see a lot of value in connecting on a deeper level um, with purpose. Em, is there anything else that comes to mind as far as life groups go? Yeah, and just what he was saying, what life groups are about. Um, I just believe that they're about 
serving one another, loving one another, um, being ready to carry one another's burdens, and also to share in each other's joys. Um, and doing that can be a hard choice to, you know, put yourself out there. But when you choose to lift someone else up, um, despite however you're feeling, if you feel like, oh, well, I'm not really spiritual, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, God sees you lifting up another, and that's walking in grace, and he will give that grace back to you and bless you in your efforts of what you're doing to serve others. So, Russ, one thing I know is, is that in communicating with you before this morning, you do have a lot of friends. You're a friendly guy. Um, at least I think you are. And, um, but you've, you've had a lot of friends. You know, you had people that you've interacted with. But what would you say the difference is in the level of life group relationship versus, you know, having people you played in bands with or on worship teams with, or kind of what has the progression been for you? And initially, did you feel like you needed that? I would say no. Initially, um, I didn't see the value in it, like beyond friendship. And friendship can be very transparent as well. But I feel like a life group, you kind of are, if you make the choice, you're forced into this kind of open up, share the deepest things, and then there's an accountability part to it that's really healthy. Um, and you're not going to get that with every single person necessarily, but sure. in, a, in a group of six or eight, you're probably going to find someone that you can connect with and, and really have that transparent accountability, um, which is what I feel like has helped me the most through the process of yes. being a part. Now, one of the things I do want to say is that if you're not part of a life group, what we guarantee you will not happen is that you step into a life group and they look at you and say, okay, confession time. Tell us all your sins. Just lay them out. That's never going to happen. But here's what I know. Is there are people sitting here and you are literally dying for a place that you can go and be loved for who you are and that you can begin to uncover because you'll sense that there's a safe place where God is covering you through His people. I can't stress this enough. And again, Russ, one of the reasons why I'm thankful you're up here is because you're a big guy. You're a big guy. Shall I say phys physically imposing, somewhat Samson-like from the Older Testament. But again, I think it's neat for you to have experienced the fact that what you thought you didn't need, as you've now begun to walk with other men and other couples in our church, that you've really experienced that connection of relationship that is greater than you thought that it would be. Do you guys have any other thoughts before we close out our time about life groups and how they've touched your life? Now, how about this? Aren't you guys leading one now? Yes, we are. Um, the Biglers are great people to go to if you want to learn how to lead. Brad said you come to one. And you're like, man, I could do this a lot better, so I'm going to start my own. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, it is, it is good to be mentored by people who are ahead of you in their faith and also sure. in their experience as leaders, and it doesn't take a super spiritual person to lead a life group. So, Good deal. Well, let's give them a hand. Good Thanks. job, guys. Thank you.
so much reason to give him praise, to give him honor, and give him glory. And he just invites us in for more. You know, his will for us is to live a covered life and to find that in community. Life groups are just an invitation to gather around him. Jesus led a life group with 12 people. They lived life with him, and they were changed forever. And because they lived so close to him, they changed the world around them. At City Church, um, our, our heart is to, to love the city of, of Charlottesville, to love radically and then to, to serve practically. We want to follow Jesus and serve others. The life group, life group sets the vehicle we all get in to, to grow in that direction. So today, we really want you to think about making a commitment to do that. On your way in, you got uh, on one side of a, of a big piece of paper all the one another's from the New Testament that, uh, that we're challenged to live by. Life groups is a way we answer that call and choose to live that life together. So today, I pray the Lord has stirred your heart to jump into a group. Many of you are already in groups, and you're thinking to yourself, can I get into another one, or a third, or a fourth? Well, really, for those of you who haven't yet done this, we're asking for 10 weeks. We've got a, an opportunity for you to just jump into a group for 10 weeks. If you, if you come to mine, and it turns out you don't like it, you can always try another one after that. Or God help you, if you go to Brad's, you know, there's number two, or, no. The Biglers, the Rogers, the Cottons, there are so many of us that are eager to, to do life with you, to share life together, to live it covered in, in God's grace and in relationships with others. So today we invite you to do that. As you leave, you're going to see a bunch of life group leaders wearing shirts like this out there in the, in the foyer. They're passionate about group life. And they're going to ask you, hey, are you in a group? Would you like to jump in one today? They can help you do that. Um, if the Lord is stirring your heart to make this step don't walk away from it don't hide from this embrace it 10 weeks what we're asking for give it a shot see how you might grow with others um, and with him i'm gonna invite pastor pete back out to pray a blessing over us before we go there he is thanks pete thank you keith if you are a student in college this applies to you Get involved with a ministry on grounds, whatever that ministry is. And get involved with a group of people who you can do life together with them and live in authentic, transparent relationship. It is so important. We're going to conclude our service now. If you would like prayer, our life group leaders, some of them that are still left in the auditorium and our prayer team is going to begin to move toward the walls. If you would like to stay for a season of worship where you're allowing God to minister to your heart, we invite you to do that as well. And so now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And I pray these things and we trust for them now. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like to remain in worship, feel free to do so. If not, slip out quietly.
Give life.
pray that as we leave from this place that we would rock in the reality of that truth, the truth that you are a God who is great over every area of our lives. So we worship you, God. We thank you. Have your way in us this week. And in your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.